What's going on, guys? Welcome to Growing Up Latina. I am your host, Ali V. Welcome, Lorraine Avila, to the show. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm really excited to be here and to be the first author. I feel so honored. Oh, my so God. Thank you. Thank you for having me. How long have you been an author? I published my first book in 2019. So an author, I think, just like three, four years. Mm-hmm. A writer for much longer, probably close to my whole life like I always like to include yeah the stuff that happened when I was like learning to write four or five falling in love with writing and all of that I still count that even though like some folks think it's like cliche or like tacky I'm just like no I'm gonna include that (laughs) Yeah. yeah I love to write so one thing that I always do um every morning when I wake up I actually write a letter to the universe mm and it's something I actually graduated with um, a BAs in English and writing. And writing has been something that it's weird because I don't pray the typical way that you would mm-hmm. pray. I actually write. So I write letters to the universe. I write letters to God and I put them in like this folder. And I'm always telling myself one day I'll write a book or something. I love so, that. So yeah, it's something that's like in my spirit. So I, I, I want to know how... Like when when did you first fall in love with writing? Yeah, first of all, shout out to your discipline though, because writing <laughs> every morning, like I always wanted you to do like the artist pages, which is like every morning waking up and just like going, going, going. And I just don't lack I I lack the t- discipline to do really? that. So shout out to you. Yeah, I, I'm gonna try. You know, the energetic yes. year is ending, so I'm like maybe like as we step into like Aries season, which is like the real new year. Ooh. Um, that's your I'll, season? Yeah, that's my season. But it's actually the real new year, like the really? energetic new year. Is yeah. that what they say, really? Yeah, for sure. Um, wow. Pisces season is really like the end of the year. It's like the final sign. Things are wrapping up. That's why like for a lot of us naturally, like like um, January, February still feels like months where like it's really not, it, it feels like you're just getting going, but it's like you're still ending a year. You're still ending like a cycle. Right. And then once spring comes in, you know, it's new year but so i will show myself some grace that i've been slacking on my new year's resolution yes. from january to february so yeah aries now april so now yeah. we're here yeah. and this is the start of your new year so when yeah. did you when was like the first time you fell in love with it yeah i want to say that i fell in love with writing through poetry i'm not like I do write poetry and I'm getting comfortable calling myself a poet. Uh, I just, I'm about to finish my MFA at the University of Pittsburgh Mm -hmm. and I've taken more poetry classes than I've taken fiction. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's really just helped my writing in general. But I will say when I first started understanding like what writing truly does, it was in second grade, I was in Miss Laura's class at PSMS 95 in the Bronx. And Mm -hmm. my father had just passed away and we were in the poetry unit. Mm -hmm. And I remember being like, Miss Laura, I want to write a poem about my dad. And I did. And it was the first time that, like, I wrote something and it was like, like, being dedicated to someone who was no longer here. But every time, like, I read that poem to my family, to my sister, um, my mom even made me take it to DR for his, like, Nueve Dia. And, like, I read it to my family, even though I wrote it in English and they couldn't understand. It was just, like, a little ritual. It felt like just that poem. Mm. That was the first time I like fell in love with writing for sure. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Um, what do you identify with and why? In terms of... Um, so everyone has like a different answer, yeah, yeah. right? Okay, okay. So feel free to like answer however you but want. But you mean like background? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Okay, so I identify as um, Dominican American. Mm-hmm. I also identify as a black woman as, you know, for... All intents and purposes, because we use the word Latina so openly, mm-hmm. I think in the United States particularly, I'll say like Black Latina, but for the most part, I identify as like, you know, someone from the Bronx with roots in the Caribbean. I mm-hmm. think especially Caribbean is what I most identify with, like Caribbean American, because the way I show up, um, I think is very Caribbean. Even when I'm speaking Spanish, my Spanish is very Caribbean. It's very Dominican. It's mm-hmm. very our language and that's also the way in which I write so um I think that's what I identify most with 
Oh, and you said that you, because we were just having a conversation offline, and you said that you just flew in here. Yeah. From Dominican Republic. <laughs> yeah, I flew in yesterday. So what were you doing over there? Were you just like visiting family? Like, what was that like for you? Well, I grew up going to DR like every time I didn't have school. So I'm, I have like a very close relationship to DR. Um, I think a lot of us as like Dominican Americans do. Uh, but as an adult, I've continued to like cultivate that relationship because even though like a lot of my friends who I grew up with in DR are grown up and like we're not really close anymore because they yeah. have families and like things just happen. I still do have friends there. And yeah, I went to visit one of my best friends, Mechi, and she was translating the making of Yolanda La Bruja. And yes. so it was like a process watching her do it. But also like I was going because every year for like the last three to four years, I've been going from like either October or end of December and just spending the last chunk of like the energetic year yeah. in DR to just wrap some things up. Like it really does feel like a grounding I get in DR that I don't get necessarily when I'm in New York or anywhere else, to be honest. Um, so that's what I was doing, kind of just dealing with some like things that are wrapping up in my life, tying loose ends and, you know, just being closer to nature, being able to have the beach right there. Um, it makes all the difference. Yeah. And also like just getting out of the U.S. context, to be honest, um, I think con el corre corre de Nueva York and of just the U.S. period, like we get so disconnected from ourselves and it's true. yeah, and I think like going back to DR really allows me to remember like everything around you, all the people around you, even like Resino, even like the people at El Colmado, like anyone is like a part of your day to day community. And so like, I just feel like we lose that here sometimes. And it's just nice to be like, oh, I have community anywhere I go, but also helps me like really appreciate the community I also have in the U.S. that sometimes I forget like oh I go to the bodega by my mom's house like I don't talk to these people they don't know my life but these yeah. are part of my community members you right. know and it just I really just love going to DR and having those reminders from being there versus being in a city. Yeah I always say like New York is like a real thing in terms of like a New York minute mm -hmm. the hustle and bustle of New York so a lot of the culture gets lost here when you go to DR or, you know, I actually went to DR for my birthday um, last year. There's something that's like so simple, like the simplicity of it all, where it's like you don't need much, mm -hmm. but you're so happy and you're so grounded. And it's like a reset for mm -hmm. me. And it sounds like for you, you had that reset. Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, do you get inspired to write over there? Like, Yeah, I do. I've also been spending like, I think it was like in 2021 and 2022, 2022, I went back, I think it was like two or three times in the really? year. And I spent like really long chunks of time there. Mm -hmm. And it's mainly to write. I um, I just feel, or like revise or do research. I just feel like just being there does give me like the space that I need to really get into the stories I write. And all of them are always connected in some way, shape or form to DR. Um not necessarily like the physical space maybe, but definitely like the content and the culture and the characters I write um, are always very connected to DR and like the practices we have there. I want to get into your writing a little bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so talk about the first book you've ever published. Yeah. And what was that like for you, the process of writing it um, and also like what inspired it? Yeah. So my first book that I published was Malcriada and Other Stories. Um, and... It was a process of writing for myself mainly. Like I really love stories and I really, really love short stories. Um, and I was going through a process while I was writing those in which like I just felt like I couldn't go straight into more training for writing because mm -hmm. at the time I just needed to get a job and make money. Right. Um, and so I went into teaching and as I was teaching, I, I took whatever time I could to write stories. Mm -hmm. Um, and they were mainly stories for me, kind of like stories about characters who were going through like difficult processes, whether that was like losing a parent or going through a breakup or, you know, being triggered about like violations they had in the past or, you know, just basically women and kids having really difficult moments and being like, you know, 
being in New York right. and being Dominican and having to grapple these identities, but also having to grapple like the lives that we lead here. Um, I want to say that the whole collection felt like a bunch of characters going from the process of healing to mm. um, from rupture to healing. Right. And I really feel proud of Malcriada and other stories. I think the just like the response I got from community for that book was just to this day, like I still get emails of people being like, thank you so much, like or like folks still like taking pictures and posting it on Instagram and all of that. And even though in the traditional publishing world, I guess like Malcriada and the stories was just kind of just like it was just published by a small press, Dominican writers. So folks were like in the traditional world, it didn't get a lot of attention, but like for a lot of like my direct community in New York, I know um, it was important. And beyond that too, like I know that there are like folks writing like their PhD theses yeah, like, and yeah. dissertations on Malcriada and other stories. And I think like, yeah, I think it was just of story stories that really were, were difficult to write because there was a lot of content in there that felt very personal. It also felt like spoke to a lot of our experiences. Um, but yeah, it was my first book and it's always going to go down as like my first baby. That's so. like your baby. I know. Mm -hmm. How long did it take you to write that book? Yeah, I want to say it took me like seven to nine years just oh because, yeah, I spent wow. that much time like writing short stories by myself. Okay, yo no, I didn't write Malquera and other stories like thinking it was going to be published. Right. I was basically teaching like, you know, nine, I mean, seven to five every day. And then right. on the weekends, whenever I could, I would work on a story and then spend time revising it. And then in 2017 or 2018, I believe, um, Angie from Dominican Writers hit me up and was just like, you know, let's publish a book. And I was like, yes, I was submitting my novel, a novel I'm working on to her. And then I was like, actually, I don't want to do this novel right now but I I have all these stories that I've written over the years like she was like yeah that could definitely be a collection so it was a collection that's amazing and when you got into your second book which is here right this mm -hmm. is your second one um there's two two-part question one mm -hmm. how do you select the covers is it you that selects the covers for the book or are you select you know uh, having someone select the covers for you like what how's that process for you well, for Malcriada and other stories, I definitely worked with an artist. Her okay. name is Crystal Rodriguez. Um, her name on Instagram is Dominican Bruja Princess, and mm -hmm. she's amazing. Like, she does a lot of, like, actual painting. Like, I don't know what she uses, but I think it's, like, oil and acrylic and stuff like that. And I always knew, like, she's going to be the person who makes my first cover. So mm -hmm. she did that, and that's still a beautiful cover. Um and then for this one, Celestial Summer, I worked with Nyanza D, who's also an artist. And we went through like four different covers and it just wasn't hitting. Like, And then I saw her do this for internal page, something similar. And I was like, actually, like, that's the cover I want. Like, What was it that spoke to you about this cover? Yeah, just the characters looking at each other like that. It's Celestial Summer is a story about like two folks who are dating and they do psychedelics together mm -hmm. and they just have this intense like moment of seeing one another with all their flaws with all their triggers with all their like sh mm -hmm. and I don't know there was something about the way they were looking at each other that I'm like that is the cover that I want oh my god and how long did it take you to um publish this book yeah, so I wrote Celestial Summer in 2020. Uh -huh. I've crowdfunded for it on Kickstarter. Okay. So folks donated like $16,000 for this to be published. And I self-published it finally um, last August. So it took me about two years. It would have definitely taken me longer had I not had the money, had I not yeah. had like people really supporting it. And yeah, I'm really, I'm really proud of it. Does your family support you in this writing journey? Yes, they do now. They do? <laughs> they do now. Now, what was it like before? Like what? Well, I always knew I wanted to be like an author. But when I first got out of college um, and I was thinking about like, maybe I should find a way to like not work and write my grandmother and my mom and everyone was just like, that doesn't make any money. Like, why are right. you going to write like? 
And I was like, okay, fine. So that's why I went into teaching. Um, but now, especially after Malcriada and other stories came out and they saw like the reaction, like the public had to it. And they also saw um, that I was making some level of money. I was able to quit teaching and just focus on writing. And also like I've continued my training. So I'm getting my like second master's now. So like to them now it's like, oh, okay. Like they kind of understand it as like, Oh, you're still studying um, and you're also writing stories that people really feel called to. So they support yeah. it in that way. Uh, I want to say that sometimes they don't understand it, right? Like, yeah. That sometimes they're just like, well, if it's not making money. Now that I, ha like, after I got an agent and, you know, now that I, um, The Making of Yolanda, La Bruja is my first traditionally published book. I love this. Yeah. I After love this. this one, I think they're just like, okay, now this is legit. This is official now. Yeah. Which I understand and respect. I think a lot of folks see publishing that way. Mm -hmm. um, so I want to say overall, though, now they, they do respect it and they do see it as like my life's work, which it is. There's so much that I want to unpack here because okay. I'm like, <laughs> I want to get into this and then I want to get into the story. But what did they have in mind in terms of like what your career should be? Yeah. Um, like what, what were some of their visions for you? Yeah. So it was because it's my fault, you know, like when I was little, I, I was just so curious. So at the beginning, when I was like in middle school, I wanted to be a lawyer mm -hmm. and, you know, my dad got me all these books on like lawyer stuff and like whatever. So I think for a while they were just like, oh, she's going to go into law. And then I changed my mind and I was like, I think I want to do something like, more um like somewhere when I was in college I I one of like I got my BA in English and Middle East studies which I know Middle East is like not Middle East studies is not the correct term but like that's what they gave me and so right. like for a while I was like maybe I'll get a job at the UN and do like translation work and then by the time I was like <laughs> In my first year of college, I thought I was going to do med school. And then I bombed and you're all like, of the uh, medical school classes. <laughs> oh my God. And I was just like, yeah, this is not for this me. This is not for and me. And then mm -hmm. my grandmother one day was like, pero que lo que tú estás haciendo? Tú sabes que a ti lo que tú te lees y escribí. And I was like, you're right. What am I doing? So I like did English and started focusing on that. Shout out to your grandma. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she was just like, girl, stop. <laughs> and... And then, yeah, then I, you know, when I graduated, I had a cousin who was like a director at the school and she was like, you'll start, start subbing. And so that's how I got into it. I started subbing and then I became like a head teacher. And then I went through that process. I got my master's in education because I thought like, I really do love teaching. Mm -hmm. um, so they just wanted a more formal job for me where like, I get a 401k, I get health insurance, I get all these things versus like, you know, right now I'm getting all of those things because I am at the University of Pittsburgh. But once that's done, like, those are things I'm going to have to figure out for myself as an right. author now, right? Because, like, we don't get paid in those ways and we don't get those benefits unless, like, we're getting them for ourselves. Right. Um, so I think they, like any other, like, immigrant family, just want you to have all the security you can in this country that's and right. They want that safety net yeah, just to just, make sure. Yeah, they're just like, yo, if something happens, you have health insurance. Right. And I get it because I think about that too. But I think what's beautiful is that when you do write a book and you put it out in the world, it's something that's there forever. Mm -hmm. You know, like to me, like this is a part of your legacy, right? right? It's something that I, one of my favorite books, um, I don't even think I've ever shared this, but one of my favorite books is by P.D. Thomas, Down mm -hmm. These Mean Streets. Yes. Oh my God. And I, I'm, I'm telling you that book, the cover mm -hmm. is literally tearing apart. That's how long I've had yeah. it. And I don't care to like tape it up. Like I want it in its original form just because I love that book and what it represents and how connected I felt towards it in terms of like, you know, it's about a guy that grew up in Harlem and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I grew up in Harlem. And so that's, you know, one of the things that I love about your writing is that it speaks true to the culture. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what oftentimes gives you that connection to any author, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I'm interested in hearing, like, who who did you look up to in terms of writers and authors and, you know, who were some of your inspirations? Yeah. Um, 
So growing up, I definitely felt called by like black American writers. Um, I think like, you know, as a child, I read a lot of like Walter D. Myers. Mm -hmm. um, I read a lot of um, Sandra Cisneros. Uh, I read other, I read Dominican writers, of course, like um, Julia Alvarez, but love I, I love Julia Alvarez. Like, so much respect. Her. And I also never felt called to the language she used because it wasn't a Bronx voice. It wasn't a New York voice. It wasn't like, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't like a Dominican York voice. And, you know, I always get nervous when I talk about this because, you know, I was also um, really called to like Angie Cruz's work, like mm -hmm. Soledad and all of that. But I think the first author that I saw write in a way that moved me was Juno Diaz and right now he, he's going through some stuff because yeah. of problematic things and I'll put mm -hmm. that to the side but I want to be honest to, in saying that like the first person I saw right in the way that I spoke and the way the community around me was speaking was him um and so even though even though I don't support the, what he's done mm -hmm. and what he's being called out for um that was one of the authors that I read that I was just like, damn, I want to grow up and be someone who can write like this, who can write like I speak and be still respected by the publishing world. Um, and I remember I spoke to one of my teachers, Mr. Kim Malawali at the Bronx Academy of Letters, because he had <laughs> made us read Drown in ninth grade. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, but do people read him? Like, do people actually read him? And he was like, yeah. I'm like... Are you sure? Because like I just couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around like there were actual like entire audiences reading his work because it sounded so much like us. Mm -hmm. And all the work that to that point was being put in front of me was like, you know, formal and like the way you're supposed to write, the way you're supposed to speak. Um, and so I'm so glad now that, you know, kids and readers in general have so much more access to more books that truly do sound like us mm -hmm. um, because it's necessary. I think, you know, writing and voices that speak to our communities is really, really important. And it's the only way that we also see ourselves in the world, you know, like through music, through books, through like shows, like we want to see ourselves and like those voices definitely have to sound like us. Yeah, I think that's so important. I think because for me, when I read a book, because it's, it's so strange. My sister, she, I don't know if you remember, but like Goosebumps, do you remember that mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. series? My sister, Jessica, loves Goosebumps. I mean, that was like mm. her thing. Um, and there was another book. I don't know if you remember this called The Babysitter's Club. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Jessica would read that all the time. And I'm like, I can't read books that don't identify with me. Mm -hmm. Like I have to be able to identify to the characters. Yeah. I have to fully immerse myself into that, you know, yeah. Uh, the place, the time and place. Um, and now when I read, I'm either reading like books about entrepreneurship, books about um, the Latino culture, the community, um, self-help books for me is mm -hmm. like a big thing. I'm always trying to rediscover. Yeah. <laughs> um, what are some of the books that you find yourself reading? Yeah. Like I on your spare time. On my spare time, I still read a lot of um, short stories and fiction in general. Um, I also read a lot of poetry. Um, you know, the last book I read was um, her first Palestinian with, by Saeed Tebbi, I believe. Mm -hmm. And it's just a collection of short stories about, like, Palestinian-Canadian character just, you know, moving through that experience. Um, and it really did, like, touch me. I think... In general, like growing up too, I was just really called to reading books that were somehow reflective of everyday struggles. Like I remember I read Ang Angela's Ashes by Frank McCourt, who's like a white Irish author. I was in ninth grade and it was literally his autobiography. But I remember feeling so connected to that character's experiences because I'm like, yo, he's just trying to make it out. Like, he's right. just trying to make it out the right. gutter right now. And so, like, I think, you know, I'm also always called to 
not stories about struggle because like that's not all we are and that's not all our lives are but like right. stories in which like characters going through those experiences can like find joy or find perseverance or find like a lot of um relief and having like communities about around them like that stuff really just um alleviates some of the pressure I feel in my real life I know they're like fiction stories but like being like look at that character I thought she was gonna end up somewhere else and here yeah. she is still going um gives me some like you know it inspires me so those are the stories I want to write too do you feel like and I always ask this question with whenever I have like a singer or some sort of artist on the show I'm always like do you feel like it's easier to create from a space of pain or from a space of happiness yeah what do you feel like for you uh, this is such a good question and it's so layered because, you know, I am someone who like, I'm so tired of like the um, tortured artist trope. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm just like, we don't want to be tortured artists. Like, right. why does all of our shit always have to come from that place of like pain and like struggling and, you know, going through it in some way? And like, it gets so bad that like we romanticize struggle at yeah. some point. But the truth of the matter is that that's what life is. Like, we're always going through, like, a highs and lows, highs and lows, highs and lows. And to be honest with you, I can write better and faster and quicker from a place of, of struggle. Like, when I'm, like, going through a really hard time in my life where, like, things just aren't lining up or things are feeling like they're falling apart. Like, mm. I can always turn to the page and it gives me some sort of, like... You know, it gives me some sort of alleviation. So I think even that is in struggle, right? Because I go and write. Yes, I'm I'm going through something, but also like the page gives me hope. It brings me back to a place of like, you know, even though the story might not be good right now, it's going to be in five revisions down. So like, I love that. Yeah. So I like, I write that. from a place of like, I turn to the page from a place of like, okay, it is not good right now. But then it's like, I revise best when I'm in a good place mentally, like mm -hmm. when I'm like feeling like all my needs are being met, when I'm, I have like all the resources I need in terms of like to pay my rent, to buy my food, to like be able to provide to people who need it around me. Like that is when I revise best, when my health is good, all of that. So yeah, I would say that's my answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, um, one of the things that I do also when I write is I oftentimes write in the future tense. Mm -hmm. So I find myself always writing the things that I want. So my life could be horrible, but I won't ever put that on the pages. Mm -hmm. I'm writing whatever I feel like best case scenarios are, whatever I feel like I want in the future. And then I find that it actually manifests for mm -hmm. itself. And I'm like, oh man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I learned to do that um, with my friend Melanie Santos. Mm -hmm. Um you know, she's helped me a lot with a lot of like journal prompts and just like reflective work in terms of that. Um, to be honest, I I still journal in a way in which I'm like writing what's actually happening. Yeah. I'm like, this sucks. Yeah, I'm yeah. having a lot of tension well, that's with this shit. You gotta get it out, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah. you have to just yeah. get those emotions out. Yeah, but what I'm finding is, especially while I was in DR. I was actually getting really tired of journaling. So I wasn't even journaling at all. Cause at one point I'm like, I don't want, I already ha have been through the hard thing. I don't want to keep writing about it. Mm -hmm. And so I did have like a good week though, that I was writing in the way that you're saying right now, where mm -hmm. I'm like, even if everything turns to shit, I'm going to be good. Like, yeah. you know, just like doing some like more of like, let's look towards the future. And that really did help. What does literary success mean to you? Okay, hold on. Is that like a tough question for you? Because <laughs> you kind of gave me a reaction. So I'm like, wait. What I mean, I feel like it's not a hard question. I guess it's just like, you know, some people like, are, some people are really comfortable talking about success. And I don't think I'm, I'm there in terms of like, I, I know what success is to me in my brain. But like saying it out loud to people always makes me feel like, oh, like just... Why? I don't know. I don't know. I guess I, I'm still making myself small in those ways, which I'm working on. Um, no, girl, you need to say it on the show. Yeah. Like, whatever the success <laughs> means to you. Yeah, so I think um, literary success to me would be, you know, making enough of an income where, like, or 
enough of an income where like again all my needs are met where i can like pay my rent without a problem where i can take a trip without a problem where i can like have freedom to just write whenever i want and to whoever i want um so i think that's what literary success is to me where like i am actually like making a life from my life's work which is writing and like i don't want to deviate from that ever again. I think I deviated once in my life right after college because, you know, I just didn't have a choice. I had to get back to like working and making money and all of that. But I don't ever want to have that pressure again. Like right. I've given my life to writing at this point. Like I've, you know, quit my job. I quit security. I quit a lot of things that like capitalism and capitalist folks tell us all the time. Like you're supposed to have this job. You're supposed to have a structure in your life where like, you know who your boss is. Like, I don't necessarily want that ever again. I want mm -hmm. like the life where like, I can be like, yo, I'm going to El Campo for six months. I'll get two novels written some yeah. way, somehow. Or like, I'll revise my book some way, somehow in six months living in, in El Campo and then I will turn back. Like, that is what literary success and also my life success would look like where I mm -hmm. just like, I can write my books. I can have my needs met. And I can, like, you know, know that there are people reading my work that are feeling affected by it or feeling changed by it, um, especially with, like, the making of Yolanda La Bruja. Like, I think success for that book would be, like, if girls in the Bronx literally saw themselves and were just, like, getting to, you know, higher education or getting to their jobs after school or, like, you know, going into relationships with, like, whoever it is in their communities and feeling like I don't have to make myself small. I know what my, the worth of my voice is. Like yes. that would be success for that book for me. Like it's always about that. Like how are people turning away from my book? How are they like being moved by it? Um, I think like literary success also in our communities would be like my name being uh, Angie Cruz where like right. people say Angie Cruz, like at least in like a Dominican household where like folks have access to books and stories and things of that nature and people like know who she is because like their stories have affected her their stories have um, affected them their stories right. have um moved them so i think that's what it is for me when was the time when or was there like like a pivotal moment in your life where you knew that you were going to go all in and you were going to bet on yourself and you decided i'm not going to work anymore this is that's it. I'm going all in, into this writing. Yeah. Um, it was in 2018. Um, I had been working for schools at that point for seven years. And I had been through a number of schools. I had, you know, given in my all. I was being a good employee, a good teacher. Mm -hmm. um, and then I started feeling really burnt out. That was one. And then I got into this car accident where like I had a really a high, like severe concussion and I was actually messed up. And my job was just like forcing me out of FMLA, which was like a, I was on medical leave. Like that's mm -hmm. how bad the concussion was. And they forced me out of it by guilt tripping me because they were like, there's no other teacher at the school who's better for these kids than you. Mm -hmm. Like because I've always had students specifically like students who like some teachers specifically, you know, the traditionally white teacher feels like it's difficult to reach. Like mm -hmm. for me, those students have never been felt that way. Um, and so I had really close relationships with my students and also it was showing in the progress they were making academically. So they like guilt tripped me out of my FMLA and it started to feel like once I went back, like, I wasn't being like actually cared for. Like y'all just mm. wanted a, a body in the room. Y'all didn't care about me as a person, you know? And I was just like, you know what? Like I was already making plans to quit teaching because um, I had gone to this book tour for a quick Mezzi who had just written Freshwater, um, which is an amazing book. Mm -hmm. And I was listening to them speak about, you know, just finding an MFA that would fund you for like three years so that you had time to write. And I was like, I'm gonna actually follow that plan. Mm. And so I was already making moves towards that. But I think going back, going through that process of like, 
I got a concussion. I'm doing a really good job. Y'all are forcing me to come back. And when I'm still showing up as myself, as a teacher, you actually don't care about my health. Like, you right. don't care about me. Like, si yo me muero mañana, you're just going to hire someone yeah, else to come take my position. Get a replacement. Yeah. You. And so I was also going through my Saturn return. Like, I was, I think I was like 28 at the time or 27. And I don't know. It just felt like life or death. Um, I had hit up... Um, one of my friends and I think writing mentors, even though she doesn't like that I call her that, mm-hmm. Erica Buddington. And she was like, yo, are you going through your Saturn return? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, well, this should this, this decision you have to make about quitting this like, you know, nine to five situation and like really actually focusing on what you want, which is like writing and storytelling. Like that decision, if you make the wrong one, can potentially kill you. Like, mm-hmm. so you have to actually become really serious about it and I was like I don't even got to think about this like I really do feel like I'm gonna bet on myself and it really did pay out because like right after that like a few months later I released Malcriada and other stories and like yeah it was really and you never turned back. yeah I never turned back it it did what it had to do yeah. so yeah what would be like some of the advice that you would give to like up and coming writers that want to get into this field um, were like you in the sense of like, now they have a job, they're working for corporate America. They have one foot in one foot out. Mm-hmm. They're not sure. They're a little hesitant. What would be like some of the advice that you would give to them? I would tell them to, yeah, to do the the thing. I would tell them to plan for it though. I think I gave myself a year to like really work. I was working three jobs. I was like, putting all the money away. I was making sacrifices to make sure I was giving myself a cushion. So I would say like, do the thing, but like plan for it. Like, no lo haga lo loco because it will bite you. Like, I think I should have planned more. Like I had like that year, but I should have made it too, you know? Um, And if I could go back, maybe I would, but it is what it is now, but definitely plan for it and like do the thing. I would also say, especially for writers, I think, I say this a lot in my writing workshops that I teach that you have to invest into your practice. Like you can't just throw yourself out there thinking like you write and that's enough because it's not like writing, being a good writer, making sure you are able to move through your words. Like you need practice and study for that. And so like, you know, taking all the workshops that you can, you know, there are so many writers on social media right now, like promoting their classes, promoting their work. There are also like some organizations who like give that, give those classes in ways that maybe you don't have to go get an MFA or or Mm -hmm. whatever, but you can take a few classes a year. There are so many brilliant writers out there doing that. Um, Vanessa Martir, who runs Writing Our Lives, teaches really affordable classes every single week, I think, at this point, almost always. And it's, like, across genres. She teaches nonfiction and, I believe, fiction sometimes. Ariana Brown also um, teaches poetry workshops. Um, I teach fiction workshop through, like, my brand Machete Writers. So I think, honestly, like, investing in the actual craft if you're serious about it because – you you just need that for anything like but especially as a writer you just want to make sure that you're also like you know expanding the ways that like you see other people's work and you see your own work so what about the writers that are struggling to find their voice mm-hmm. writers that have writer's block and i know most writers do not like to discuss writer's block, but that's a real thing, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So what about the writers that just don't know or have not found their voice yet? Yeah, I think it's going to take a lot of practice. And, you know, again, for me, the way I found those things, my own voice was like, honestly, through a lot of like listening to music. Um, mm. I remember at the time I was listening to like a lot of no-name and J. Cole, like mm-hmm. I'm saying them in the same sentence and also right. thinking about what's going on with them. But yeah, at the like back then in like 2017, 2016, I was like listening to a lot of their earlier mixtapes mm-hmm. and or like a lot of their earlier work. For any kind of like rapper or singer, I do that. I listen to like their mixtape because I think 
that is where you find their voice. That's like, like the B side yeah, of it. Yeah, like that's yeah. where you know who they are. Like with Cardi B, like if you listen to like her early stuff that no one actually paid attention to, like that is where you know who Cardi B is. So right. like I would say like listen to music. Like that's how I find found my own voice where I was just like, damn, if I wrote a mixtape, if I was out here like rapping, like what would that mixtape be about? Like how would I want to like sing those songs or rap those songs? And literally Malcriada and Other Stories was that like for me. Um, I would also say like journaling and like figuring out what sentences you write that are just like, damn, like I did that because yeah. I do that a lot. And I that's what I use for a lot of like um, my captions on Instagram where I'm like journaling and I'm like, damn, like that's, that's Wow, girl, you did <laughs> yeah. that. You yeah. know, so yeah, those are like the places I found my work. Um, but again, like I feel like I was really able to like hone in on like what I'm supposed to sound like when mm -hmm. I was taking um, Vanessa's Martins, like writing our lives classes, because she's really big on that. On like, what do you write like? Like, what do you sound like? And that is what you want to focus on writing like. Because if you're trying to write like some white dude that makes a million dollars a book deal, like, right. that's not you. So your story is never going to sound okay right. to anyone because that's not who you are. No, it's not authentic. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So I would say like listening to music, figuring out other people's voices. And that's why like reading, a lot of people are just like, you have to be a good reader to be a good writer. And I believe that to some degree, but I also know that that's not always true to everyone. So like, that's why I turn to music too a lot where I'm like, if I'm not going to read 20 people to f figure out what voices, like, let me go listen to music. Right. Um. So there are options, but I say like studying other people's voices will bring you always closer to yours. As you start to leverage your voice, um, how do you use social media to amplify your voice? Yeah. Uh, social media. <laughs> it's like oh the gift God. and the curse, right? Yeah, yo, it's been a process. Really? Um, I didn't always like social media. Um, back in like 2015, like I would post like once every three months. I would go on like breaks for two years. Like I really didn't care that much. Mm -hmm. Um but then when I started to get serious about writing, I have a friend, Annie Bell, shout out to her, mm -hmm. who like, you know, I was like, damn, Annie Bell, do you really think I could do this writing thing? And she was like, girl, you write a caption on Instagram and 300 people like it. And like, I know it doesn't sound like a lot, but I'm like, yo, you're right. Like 300 people like this picture because of my actual long ass caption. Yeah. And so she was like, you should start a blog and just like start putting your little stories on there. And I was like, yeah, I am going to do that. So I started doing that. And so every time I was releasing a story, I would like focus on like putting a part of it on the caption and having like a really nice picture of myself and making sure those captions were always kind of telling a story that I wanted people to go and read on my website um and that's how I really started figuring out like how to use social media for that uh I think now um I think I just want my voice to be like like one that brings a level of like reflection like always mm -hmm. like a lot of reflection to folks um I want to be authentic as possible everywhere in my life but also especially on social media because I think Folks just think like people got to figure it out. Like just because you got like a thousand likes on a picture, you your whole life is figured out. Right. And it's like, I want to be open about like, yeah, that's actually not happening. Like I posted amazing pictures yesterday, but like on the caption, I'm like, yeah, I'm not okay. Like I'm still like wrapping right. up a lot of things in my life that were actually really painful and like figuring out my life. And so just because you see a pretty picture, like that doesn't mean anything. Like there's a real thing happening mm -hmm. behind yeah. the scenes. I think people forget like, you know, social media is not real, real, real life. And I know we talk about, about that a lot, but I just want to be authentic and honest and as transparent as I can be while still protecting my private life because that's my right to. Right. Um, but I want that's the way I want to use social media. And I think that's the way I've been trying to use it. I was going to ask that, like, how much of yourself are you willing to share via social media? Because I feel like I struggle with that. Mm -hmm. I'm always like, oh, I don't know if I want to say that. I'm not sure. Like, because I always feel like social media 
the minute you post it, it lives forever. Mm-hmm. Whether you delete it or not, it's, yeah. it lives there. Um, and so I wonder for you, like, how open and willing and how do you know how much of yourself to share? Yeah. I don't have the the perfect answer for that. I have things that work for me. And I, I would say that um, I will share as much as I can um, in a way that still, again, protects my life and protects the people in my life. Mm-hmm. And I also, like, I don't share things around, like, you know, like, <laughs> if I'm going through a heartbreak, you know, like, I'm not going to say I'm going through a heartbreak because that's not something I'm willing to share. Right, but I will, like, I will talk about, like, how hard things are feeling and, like, you know, what those things are poking at. And, like, also, like, I'm open to sharing triggers. Like, I am being triggered at this point in my life because of these, like, situations I've had. Because I think, especially that, um, with all this healing talk that we have nowadays, <clears throat> I think people think they're supposed to be perfect and I'm even talking about myself like I'm constantly triggered by things right. and sometimes I'm just like have I not done the healing work I've gone right. through the retreats I've Girl, gone the to the therapy work I've is gone your everywhere. lifetime yeah and so like sometimes when I'm being triggered I'm like damn so I kind of want to always be open about those things uh-huh in order to like help people normalize like yo just because you're doing the healing work or you feel healed like you are going to have reactions about things because you're a human being um and yeah in the past like i've been really open about you know horrible stuff um you know i came out about a viol- about a violation that happened in 2016 and all of 2020 was about that like you know, I had come out on social media about it and there was just so much hate and negativity, but also wow. a lot of support from my community mm-hmm. at the same time. And I think that was the last time that I like particularly shared something so deeply emotional and intense and private. But I did that because there were so many other stories behind mine that mm. that needed to be said. And like those people were not in the point of their life where they were open to sharing that. Mm-hmm. Um and still aren't, right? But I felt like that situation was triggering me so much and I wanted to like relieve myself of it and Mm -hmm. also give people like the ability to be able to do that for themselves. And so during that moment, I had a lot of like back and forth about like what, what should I share? Is this too much? Whatever, whatever. And it just got to a point where I'm just like, this is something that's, worthy of sharing because also one of my writing missions is just like to rupture the traditions of silences that we have as a culture Mm, um i love that (laughs) yeah um, can you repeat that because that was like a whole bar yeah to rupture the tradition of silences that we have as a culture is like Mm. my writing mission my life mission and so like when it comes to you know good yeah so good when it comes to like the ways in which men in our community continue to like create unsafe environments for us. I think we're always so hush hush about that, even though everyone knows that that man or that group of people, whatever, make environments unsafe for folks. We will sit here as a community, especially I'm talking about Dominican specifically, like we will sit here and somehow protect them with our silence in order to like not make a scene or not make a show or not have issues with anyone or mind your business. And sometimes like we are each other's businesses. And so like Mm. for me, I felt like I'm gonna come out about this because I've already heard enough stories to know that I'm not the only one that this has happened to. And even though like X amount of people are not going to share their stories, I'm going to share mine. So enough people can hold that man accountable and enough people could stay away from him because mm. he is not well. Right. And so that was the last time I shared something on social media that was really private. But I felt like this is a moment I'm going to take to share it. And how did you feel after you finally like shared it and now it's released? It's out in the yeah. public? and Yeah, I I've, I go back and forth with it. I think at the beginning I went through like a, it was a lot Mm-hmm. It was a lot. I hid a, for a long time after that. Like, I just didn't want to be seen. But then, 
you know. You know, I, people are asking, what did she share? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you want to share it on the show? Like, what exactly did you share? Or I mean, if you go on my Instagram, it's still there. Sometimes okay. I'm like, I should take it down. And I'm like, actually, no, I'm going to keep it up because it is what it is. But, mm -hmm. you know, trigger warning, rape. Um, yeah, I was like physically assaulted by someone in in mm -hmm. Dominican, New York City community. And um yeah, and I had I, you know, I hadn't even shared it with a lot of folks, but I started hearing stories about this particular person with other people and I was like, oh snap. It wasn't my it wasn't a it me was, thing. Yeah, it wasn't just me. Yeah. And so I was like, okay. And I just, you know, I shared my story. I didn't name the person. I still haven't. Right. And it's just been a process. And so that was truly the last time that um, that happened. And I felt really, I felt uncomfortable about it at the beginning. Again, I still feel uncomfortable about it sometimes because I'm like, I don't want people to think that's my entire story because I'm so much more than that situation. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's what I, I feared the most where like I was going to be the person that this thing happened to and that's not the case and I've proved that. So like it doesn't right. matter anymore. But I always like, yeah, I always take the opportunity to talk about it if it makes sense just because mm -hmm. I do think social media, even though a lot of people are like, it's like cancel culture sucks. It's like, Bro, are we actually canceling people? Because this man is still being paid. Mm. He still has a job. Y'all are still supporting his work. Mm -hmm. Y'all are still allowing him to eat. I'm not saying he should go in a right. hole and die, but like, I feel like cancel culture actually doesn't. It actually doesn't exist. Like, we don't cancel anybody. Like, right. I, like if those people are, bibito coleando. Like, mm -hmm. you know, nothing actually happened except. Some, people are speaking about the truth, which mm -hmm. everyone was speaking about behind closed doors. But now it's like, if you want to talk about it, talk about it. Right. Like, um, let's have the conversation. But yeah. like for real. Yeah, for real. And so like, yeah. that's just the type of person I am in, in just like my private life with my friends and family. Mm -hmm. um, and I try for it to be my, the way I am in, in my public life. Um, but yeah, I mean, now I just feel very freed from it. Like I feel like, you know, it's not my business if anyone thinks that that's all I am in the world. Right. Um, but I personally feel like really empowered by my own decision to share because right. that's what I want to continue doing with all of my stories and all of my experiences. Like if something horrible happens to me, like y'all are going to know about it. Like that's right. I'm not going, I'm not my grandmother. Mm. I know that we love being like our ancestors are amazing and there are a lot of great things I've gotten from my elders and my ancestors a lot of things especially the fortitude I have and the protection I have but also there are things that our elders and our ancestors have done that have harmed us and one of them has been like keeping all these things to ourselves these horrible things that have happened to us and for me specifically like if I'm a dive, I'm a suffer, I'm going to scream about it. Mm. Like, y'all, I'm not a tree in a forest that's going to fall and no one's going to hear it. Like, y'all are going to know about yeah. it. So, yeah. and that is also a way in which I protect myself because I think, you know, a lot of things that happen to kids and happens to like the most vulnerable of our populations is like people harm them thinking, oh, esa gente se va a quedar callado. Esa gente yeah. no, le, no va a decir nada. Like, that person's not going to speak on it mm -hmm. if something horrible happens to them. And so predators go towards those people. And I want to make sure at this point in my life, like, if something happens to me, it's going to be known. Like, right. I'm not staying quiet about physical, emotional, like, any type of harm because that's it. We've already... We've already gone through that, and that doesn't work for us, especially, again, for, like, the most vulnerable of our population, children, women, trans folks, like, staying shut is not the way. And I know that sometimes we speak on stuff and nothing happens, um, but I do hope that, and I have felt, at least for myself, where, like, things are shifting little by little right. because of people being really open about, you know, their experiences, you know? I do think, like... Yeah, I think at least in the communities I know that I move around, like, you know, predators in general or people, men who, like, think they have more power than they do, 
just know to move more carefully right and to actually like think about the harm they cause and to actually consider like what is consent like you know like if someone tells you no at any point of the night and you know you continue to have these things that you feel like pushing people then you know what that is now because there are actual stories out there that are telling you right that and i think it's also important like we we hear the term accountability right but what does that really mean if we're not holding anyone accountable um I think it's important for people to know that that was a chapter in your life. And like you said, it doesn't mean that it's the full story. Um, What is this chapter right now where you're at in your life? What is this chapter called? I don't know. Um, Damn, this is funny because I was talking to my um, editor yesterday, the editor of the making of Yolanda La Bruja. And he was like, yo, you do so good with like chapter titles. <laughs> and I was like, I do. And now I can't think about this chapter of my life. Um... Girl, I've been saying mine is live and let live. This is my chapter. Of live my and life. let live. Yeah. yeah, that's a great one. Yeah. I would say something like, um, I think um, I'm, I'm at the, chapter of my life where I'm just like closing cycles mm-hmm. um I think that or moving from that place like moving from closing chapter cycles because I think I see ways in which like I've repeated a lot of things in my life like you know whether that be professionally or in relationships or in you like know, patterns yeah just patterns like showing up again and again right and I think I I see that so clearly now. And mm-hmm. so I just, I think that's the chapter I'm on right now where I'm just like, okay, these are the ways I'm going to hold myself accountable. And it's by telling myself you're making the decisions that are always leading back to this place. And so like, how can you hold yourself accountable and like making sure you're, you don't find yourself here if you can help it. Yeah. So talk to me about this book. <clears throat> it's yeah. coming out. So the release is... Do we have a date? Yeah. I know it's April, right? Yeah. So The Making of Yolanda La Bruja is coming out April 11th. Um, we'll be at the Lip Bar. Yes. Yeah, I'm so excited. Oh, it's that's It's like a so Bronx good. dream. Yeah. Um, yeah. So The Making of Yolanda La Bruja is released April 11th. And it's going to be great. It's like a book about like faith, brujeria, and like a girl in the Bronx just trying to protect her community and protect herself and use her voice as loudly as she can to be like, yo, someone is harming our environment. Like, let's do something about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And struggling with the fact that a lot of our voices aren't heard sometimes, but like making sure that she's like leaning on her ancestors and leaning on like um, the support of her Bruja Diosas to make sure that she keeps herself protected and that her community is as safe as it could be. Make sure you guys pick up the book. You said the pre-order link mm-hmm. is in your bio yeah, right my now. Bio. Um, I do want to ask you a couple of rapid fire because we <laughs> love these questions. Okay. What is the first book that made you cry? Mm, the first book that made me cry? Mm-hmm. Ooh, I, I can tell you the last book that made me cry. Okay. That's okay. Good. It was a good cry. Um, Home Going by Yagazi. I read it in Cuba and I finished it in Cuba and I remember I was by the beach and I was just like sobbing like by myself on a beach like just crying um that's the last one I remember okay tell me you're Latina without telling me you're Latina um tell you I'm Latina without telling you I'm (laughs) Latina I eat rice like three times a week (laughs) Girl, I could eat rice in the morning if you let me. My mother would be so upset at me. I know. Um, Finish this sentence. Growing up Latina is? Growing up Latina is layered. Mm. That's a good one. That's a good one. Shout out to you guys. Make sure you pick up her book. The link, the pre-order link is in her bio. What's your Instagram? My Instagram is Lorraine Avila with underscore at the end. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so honored. Our first author. 